Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cold Feet Podcast. Join our journey as we interview people in this cold plunge and we delve on the adventure of holistic health, athletic development, barefoot education, washing the norm, and so much more. So dive in, grab a hot cocoa, and enjoy the episode. Before we start our podcast episode, we would like to give a brief shout out to our podcast sponsors. Most shoes harm your mobility by over-restricting your foot's natural movement. With the Ursus from Barefoot Athletics, a shoe designed with minimal restrictions, your feet can move the way nature intended, so you can move with more confidence and strength in every step. Barefoot Shoes was founded by Chris Duffin, who attributes proper foot biomechanics as foundational to his success in squatting and deadlifting over 1,000 for reps. He created Barefoot Shoes to provide a minimal shoe designed for strength athletes. Go to barefoot.shoes slash TBSR to check out the Ursus and you can save 10% with the code TBSR10 to purchase the strongest minimalist shoe available. As a gym owner, I usually lift barefoot. When I can't lift barefoot, I love lifting in my barefoot shoes for both the health benefits of lifting barefoot and the increased ground feel I have in all my lifts. You don't need supplements to build muscle, lose fat, and get healthy, but the right ones can help. That's why over 350,000 fitness folk have chosen Legion. Well, that and their 100% natural products, their clinically effective ingredients and doses, and their no-hassle money-back guarantee. I've been following Michael Matthews, the CEO of Legion Athletics Journey, since 2012, and I am super duper impressed with their supplements. They have a wide variety of everything from protein powders, pre-workouts, post-workouts, omega-3s, and bundles. And you can save a whooping 20% with the discount code HABER, H-A-B-E-R. So just log in to legionathletics.com, and the discount code is HABER for 20% off. Earthrunners are some of my favorite minimalist sandals. Earthrunners were created to rewild our lives in response to the typical modern domesticated lifestyle, which is causing numerous health, psychological, and social issues. Through rewilding and grounding, we aim to bring stronger, healthier, and more resilient individuals and communities back to our society. If you're not familiar with grounding, grounding is exposing your bare feet or body to the earth beneath you. And if you're unable to do that, you can ground with sandals like Earthrunners with their unique copper plug and copper laces. Grounding has a huge display of benefits such as reducing inflammation, improving sleep, and improving happiness. So you can check out Earthrunners at earthrunners.com and you can use our discount code of TBSR10 to get 10% off. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cold Feet Podcast. I am privileged to have the one and only Petra from Petra Fisher Movement. So, Petra, can you please go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, Sean. Uh, well, I guess uh, I'm a movement coach. I've been working in this area for about nine years now, and my focus is helping people build more sustainability into their bodies in ways that are really practical and focused on your real life. So that's that's what I do. I like that you're able to sum up your life purpose in one sentence. Uh, many people still struggle, <laughs> still struggle with that intro part. So today's podcast is just really going to be diving into feet, foot health, how to transition to minimal footwear. Petra here, I'll let her say all her juicy stuff that she's launching, but she is one of the world-renowned, I think I pronounced that right, female health experts when it comes to feet. 
she has a huge international audience community. We're both in a similar world, just in different parts of the of the planet Earth. So that's going to be today. So Petra, take it away. The mic's on you. I'm going to work on my listening skills. And could you just dive into feet, footwear, transitioning, tell us about your article you launched, and I'm all, I'm all ears. And we're all ears. Okay. <laughs> so I guess... Um... The the thing we were talking about right before we started was just that feet for me have been an entry point into movement. I think that, you know, feet are just an opportunity for everybody to consider because they're an easy win. And I'm a huge believer in easy wins. We have really weak, stiff feet as a general population. And when you work on your feet, you work on your whole entire body because they connect to the ground. So you're working on the low hanging fruit when you work on your feet with the biggest rewards. And I'm 100% about efficiency and trying to get like, the the most out of your work. So I think that if anybody wants to improve their health, then it's just, it's a no brainer to work on your feet. And we've got so many great tools about that these days. What's interesting though, as you know, for sure, about working on feet is that it's a cultural shift when you're talking about feet. Uh, And people don't understand that what we've been told our whole lives about needing supportive footwear or just seeing our whole lives about what shoes are supposed to look like is actually really not helping your feet, not helping your health and is many times straight up wrong. So there's a lot of resistance to changing footwear. And so that's where I think we have a big role to play in terms of education and in terms of helping people understand not just the benefits of changing your footwear, which I think you've talked about a ton and I talk about a ton, but actually how to do it. And I think that's where the question marks are for most people is like they start out with a wardrobe of, you know, your your 100 shoes you've collected your whole life and that you love, like you legit love the shoes you've been buying. And then you're like, but I my feet hurt. I have pelvic floor problems. I want to start doing something about that, holy crap, what do I even start with? Like, what do I do? And so I know that's something I'm excited to be working on. And I know you're super excited about as well. Well, Petra, can I ask you, how did you get into this world of barefoot? And did you go on your own personal transition journey as well? Yeah, for sure. I had spectacularly bad feet. I still have challenging feet because of all the terrible things I did to myself. So I was a lawyer um, and I'm very short. I'm only about five foot one. And so I thought it would be a great idea to wear sky high heels when I was lawyering. So I had full on four inch platform heels that I wore consistently daily to work. And when you're working as a lawyer, you're not working for eight hours a day. You're working for 14 hours a day a lot of the time. So I had terrible, terrible shoes. Before that, I was dating a surfer. That was before I really surfed, but I thought I was going to. So I wore flip-flops a lot as well. Also a terrible foot choice. So I had super weak feet. And because I was a lawyer and I wanted to be fit and I wanted some stress release, I also started running. So I was pounding my feet in motion control running shoes all the time. And uh, I gave myself all kinds of body problems. So no surprise there. Um now that I know more about actually what the problem was. So I really had to do a major transition. And I think like many people, my introduction to the world of healthier feet was when I came across the work of Katie Bowman, who has introduced a lot of people to healthy feet with her uh, teaching and especially her books. And as soon as I read about it, I was like, oh my God, like, of course, like, of course, this all syncs together. I have super weak feet. They're unfunctional. They're unhealthy. And the truth is that most foot problems aren't a disease exactly. They're more a symptom of these weak, unhealthy feet. And so doing a general broad-based foot and body strengthening program is going to be fantastically helpful to deal with most foot problems. Even if you're like, I want the bunion solution, what you mostly need is the whole foot health solution. And that's certainly what's been really helpful for me. And I still have a pathway ahead of me for my feet, but it's just been a game changer for me for sure. 
Yeah, foot health and strengthening is always going to give you a very, very big bang for your buck because it's always going to lead, even as you said, if you're just trying to fix your bunion, it's going to lead to reduced knee pain. It's going to lead to better hip alignment and it's just going to make you a better athlete. And I think that everyone who went on some sort of barefoot transition journey became a healthier, more holistic, more connected person because of their foot journey, not just because they're trying to realign their big toe. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, you know, you start thinking about your body in a slightly different way when you start exploring it with the goal of nurturing functional wellness. And I know functionality has been a term that's been thrown around a lot, especially in your world of more athletic stuff. And it's not always very helpful because I'm not sure what function really means when it's applied in athletics, but you know, when function means allowing your body to do the things your body is supposed to do and to have access to a wide variety of patterns, then you suddenly start exploring your body in very, very different ways and very helpful ways. Cause that's what bodies like bodies like variety and bodies like to be able to do what they're designed to do, which is to move. So, you know, I think that's the other thing when you think about feet, what people don't get is that, you know, when you go for a walk in traditional shoes, you are moving your feet across the world. You go for five miles, you've moved your feet five miles worth of time, but what you haven't necessarily moved is within the foot. If the foot isn't supinating and pronating as you walk, you're missing out on a lot of intrinsic to your body movement, even though extrinsic to you, you are moving. And that's where the subtlety comes in. And that's where I think a lot of people can go even one step further in their journey because simply strengthening your feet and simply being barefoot doesn't necessarily get you to that full functional outcome of your foot really doing its thing properly. So that's kind of where I'm at these days with thinking about feet. Mm. And Katie Bowman also discusses the concept, a lot of texture and how not only is it about like the, the ability of your foot to do all the motions that the ankle and the toes can do, but also your feet are your sensory devices. So by exposing your feet to the ground, you're feeling the ground beneath you. Your skin itself is also living tissue that needs to adapt to the terrain around it. We feel it all the time when we walk outside in our garden and the floor is too hot. That's because our skin is telling us, hey, bud or buddy, whatever your, body, your skin calls you, it's a little bit too hot right now. Be careful where you walk. Um, you said before when you were a lawyer, so you were wearing heels for, for quite a while. And then when you were running, you're wearing motion control, uh, conventional sneakers, we'll call them. Let's dive a little bit down that for those who are not familiar with the uh, negative benefits of high heeled shoes and, or it's a kind of like a different topic sneakers. The negative benefits. That's a whole new concept to me. Negative, sorry, the negative aspect. <laughs> I, I've been in Israel too long. I'm forgetting my English. I'm just kidding. The negative no, aspect like of heels. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's let's broadly talk about conventional shoes because I think that most people have at least heard that really high heels are bad for you, even Correct. if they don't know exactly why. So I think you can really think about everything shoe on a continuum, and it's a continuum of features that are more foot damaging towards more foot supporting, you could say. And I don't mean that in the sense of support physically, but to allow your foot to do what it wants to do or what it's supposed to do. So there's, I think of usually as five main features in a shoe that you could think about. There's how raised the heel is. So if you imagine a heel raise as like you were standing facing downhill on a hill, you could be on flat ground or you can be on a really steep hill and, and your body's going to react differently to whatever height is underneath the heel, but it's always going to affect your entire body. So even if you have a conventional sneaker, I mean, that has still a raised heel that's going to have similar effects to your body as my four inch stilettos. It's just not as 
pronounced. So you've got to get rid of the heel in order to let your body work as it should work, which is to respond to the real world around it and not to always be in one, one heel rise. Um, both sneakers and high heels and most other conventional shoes have very narrow toe boxes. So their toe is narrow. And when your toes are artificially squished together all the time, they don't have the opportunity to widen, which means that you can't create an arch properly because your arch muscles are attached to your big toe. And you also create a lot of literal squish on your bones and and tissues. And that literal squish is leading to your hammer toes and your bunions and your neuromas because those tissues shouldn't be squished all the time. They need to you have space to move. So you have real problems from the toe box. There's a lack of flexibility in conventional soles. Again, both high heels and sneakers are fairly solid and can't respond to any rolling through your foot that you would need to do to functionally propel yourself forward in space. So when you walk, you should absolutely have a big toe that bends back somewhere around 60, 60 degrees. The, the opinions are not hundred percent clear on that, but if you're in a conventional shoe, you will get zero movement within that big toe extension, which will stiffen your big toe uh, over time. Also there's your bunions and there's your hammer toes from that kind of, um, positioning in the shoe, because it also happens to be that they often raise the toes of shoes, but we can talk about that later. And um, there you lose the texture. So the texture in the ground is, is about sensory perception. You get a lot of brain input from your feet, as you know, but it's also about mobilization within the many joints of the foot. So if you're never exposing your feet to texture, you stiffen your feet. They don't know how to respond to the world around you. So you, you texture, you, you expose your feet to texture for sensory input and for mobilization input. So soles, heels, toe boxes, toe lift is what I just touched upon earlier, toe spring. It's put into shoes like running shoes because their soles are so thick that if you didn't have toe spring, you would fall over. So they put a lifted toe to allow you to rocker over the toe when you walk. But what that does to your foot over time is if you're in a lot of toe spring shoe is it shortens the tissues on the top of your foot. It over lengthens the tissues on the bottom of your foot, which ends up giving you an imbalanced foot. So there you're looking at your plantar fasciitis, absolutely hammer toes. You're looking at metatarsal issues. So really big overloads on your forefoot. That's what I'm still dealing with. Uh, So that kind of really, it creates this foot that if you imagine a banana that was sitting on its uh, rocker side, that's what your foot ends up kind of looking like. and, And that's not ideal. And then the final aspect of a shoe is how well it's attached to your foot. So I guess the one thing about high heels and running shoes is they're definitely attached to your foot, uh, but my flip-flops weren't. And when you're wearing a shoe that's not attached, then you're gripping all of the time. And when you're gripping all of the time, you're using your muscles again in a really non-functional way because those muscles should be free to respond to the world instead of having to grip. So my flip-flop years probably did a fair bit of damage because of a gripping, um, a gripping pattern. So that's all the shoe stuff that you don't want to have. And then the shoe stuff that you want to get to eventually is the shoe stuff that lets your foot do all the things a foot should do. But as we talked about, we want to talk about kind of practically, how do you get from point A where you're wearing your stilettos to point B where you're barefoot or you're wearing a very minimal shoe in a way that respects your body and doesn't cause you injuries along the way as you adapt. Is that what you say? Wow. First of all, you dive so into an explanation. You really thoroughly explained it. You you also like backed it up with a little bit of the anatomy of the structure of the foot you didn't just like throw out zero drop flexible sole um i also the 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 last one specifically about being firmly attached to the foot that's a lot of time like 
kind of like brushed aside. I think that's the most important. I think that the main difference between sneakers and sandals, even minimalist sandals, is that some of them are still flopping around, you know, especially if the, the thong strap style ones, if they're not really, really holding your foot and you're walking with your like, you know, barefoot style sandal and you're flopping around, that's not affecting gait in a positive way. And these things are super important to understand that if you're already wearing minimalist footwear, you may as well do it right because you're already taking the steps to do it right. I also really like in the beginning when we were speaking about heels and sneakers, it kind of made me just picture perhaps a future post where we kind of look at max discomfort. Let's look at it like the banana. So like max discomfort, which is like a heel, like everyone knows heels are bad for you. In fact, you go to the wedding, the second the ceremony is over, everyone's dancing barefoot because heels suck and they hurt your feet. And you can go to the most closed-minded podiatrist, doctor, uh, movement professional who's like super about the the Hoka cushion shoes. And there's many people, professionals who I respect who have opinions like this, and they'll agree that heels are bad. Then we'll have on the other end of that spectrum, the super cushion shoe, which is like, this is the optimal shoe. So it's like, which one is bad for you? Both are bad for you. One's maximal comfort cushion efficiency and one's maximum pain, but you got to suck it up to look good, right? <laughs> I saw a funny, I saw a funny article literally yesterday. It said best sneakers to lounge around in to chill when you're recovering from running. And it was like the cushiest, warmest sneakers. And I was like, why is Google even targeting me with these articles? Like, dude, get your stuff right. Target me with zero shoes, man. Just target me with Shama sandals. Like, this is not the right article. I'm not gonna, I did read it for fun, but that was that. Um, so I love, your, I love your, your, your roundup. You really went into it. And I really want to differentiate as not just a barefoot educator, but as an actual performance coach who was working with athletes. I have three girls who are in, uh, Amer- in Alabama in the World Games. They're going to the Olympics, God willing, in 2028. So like... It really matters for me, not just their health and longevity, which would matter to everyone, but also their performance. So if I take a top tier athlete and I say to them, hey, I want you to switch to minimalist shoes. Let me guide you to this. They're like, hold up, Sean. What if minimalist shoes slows me down in my running or my sprinting? So I have to factor that in mind. And people don't realize that, especially mm-hmm. in, the, mm-hmm. in the more athletic world, like, hold up. If I adapt my gait to a four foot mid strike, which is ideal is that going to slow me down on my performance, right? So that's like a, a deeper intrinsic layer that the regular dudes and dudettes who are just going for a 10K don't have. So we have to realize the impact and effects of our decisions. So because of that, I like to differentiate between regular movers. People are just, you know, walking, going out and about, surfing, playing with their dog to more top tier people who are pro runners, ultra marathoners, sprinters, athletes, because it's like a total different category of transition. Would you agree with that, like, uh, separation between the two? Yeah, I think that's very fair, Sean. And I think that, you know, I'm by no means a running coach, but I occasionally dabble at it because that was actually what I loved to do before I hurt myself. Um, And everything that I've read about doing a good barefoot transition for a runner involves getting rid of the cushion completely, going straight into a super minimal shoe and cutting your time significantly while you retrain your gait. And that is a fair thing to ask if you happen to want to run in minimal shoes for an injury prevention purpose. But for somebody who's focused on performance, that's probably not the choice they want to make at this moment in time. But what they can do for sure is make a transition to barefoot style shoes in their regular life, Mm. keep their 
performance where it is, still be working on strengthening their feet and at a time when they want to make that shift. So I think that what's so great about all of this minimal shoe stuff is that it's very customizable. Everybody can find a place for themselves. And it's just about trusting yourself and exploring and being open and being smart. And if something hurts not doing it or something's going to affect your performance and the performance is your main goal, then don't do it. Like there's, mm-hmm. you, you can really be responsible for your own outcomes as you start to make these choices. If I can, I'm going to give a few, first of all, agreed completely. I, I like how you like reinforced the, the separation. I'm going to give a few like case studies, so to speak, that I worked with. So one, we had this uh, marathoner who's the head coach of the uh, strength and conditioning uh, flag football team that I work for. She's a marathoner, you know, runs distance every time. First week of my job, she's like, hey, Sean, I heard you the barefoot guy. Could you, tra- could you like uh, recommend a good brand? I said, yes, but, oh man, one second. Yes, but I'm warning you that I, because you run so much mileage and you have the Jerusalem Marathon coming up next month, even if I suggest that you get lens or zeros or whatever it is, you can't just dip. Like you have to like follow, uh, as you said, cut your kilometers in half. I, the way I do it is, let's say, for, for a competitive runner, once a week, run barefoot on a softer surface as you reteach your body how to learn gait. Running barefoot is a very, very good learner because you can heal. Very good, sorry. Very good teacher because you can heal strike. Once a week, run in your cushion sneakers. Run in your cushion sneakers and see how does it feel. How does it feel between barefoot and really listen to your body run on a softer surface and slowly teach your body how to relearn how to run. But if she needs to hit her 40, 50 kilometers, then it can't be done in a month, especially because she has to relearn. So she didn't listen to my advice and she was started in a running and two weeks later, she developed Achilles tendonitis. Surprise. Since then, she's back in her regular cushion sneakers because she almost like lost trust. We have very good working relationships. We spoke about it and we, I explained to her what perhaps we can learn from next time. And now she's like, okay, I understand miscommunication mistake. That's an example of a pro runner doing it incorrectly. Another example, another guy I worked with who was in the military. So he had to pass his 3k uh, time it has to be done in under like 12 minutes and he was always running in vibrams then we noticed when he switched to sneakers he was still doing with a forefoot strike he was able to do like a minute faster i was like so running sneakers man it's one fitness combat test if 90 percent of the time you're barefoot or in minimal shoes all's good so that's like the general picture of um minimalist footwear for performance it's not about the 100 percent. it's about the 80 90 if you can be barefoot at home if you can be barefoot in the gym if you could spend time barefoot with your kids on the beach that's okay. And if you have to wear shoes sometimes, and even if, may the barefoot gods forgive me, if you have to wear heels at a wedding once because it's like your sister and she insists you wear heels, I wouldn't do it. My wife wouldn't do it, but wear heels. Like just wear heels, take them off and say, okay, I damaged my feet a bit. Let me undo that. Uh, that's yeah. kind of my two cents there. Diving into transitions. So like someone- Wait, 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 wait. Oh, Before sorry, you sorry, dive sorry. in, I have two things to say about that. Because I think you brought up such a good point with the running people getting injured because they didn't transition well. And I think that is a huge barrier for people when they hear about transitioning to minimal shoes is because when minimal shoes were first kind of talked about in like the 2000s, whenever it was, a lot of people did exactly that. They were like, awesome. I've like now got minimal shoes. I'm going to be healthy. And they just went back to running normally. And I think that really is an elephant in the room that you need to just be like, wait, that's because a lot of people did it the exact wrong way, heavily loaded shoes that uh, feet that weren't ready to be loaded. So I'm glad you brought that up because you need to be cognizant of the fact that a change of shoes 
is a big change for your body, whether you're a runner or not a runner and be smart about it. So I think that was really uh, a great point. So that was one of them. And I think your other point, which is that you're not going to hurt yourself if you have to go to a wedding in a high heeled shoe is awesome too, because there's no, your body's really strong and resilient. Like I wouldn't wear a high heeled shoe because I hate it now. Like I just straight up don't like doing it, but that's just me. And for, for some years I did go back to my other shoes. You're in control. You can wear whatever shoes you like, and it's not going to hurt you one day, even a week, but it does over time matter. So it's one of those things where you get a lot of flexibility and you can trust your body to heal and you're probably not going to want to wear those shoes very much anymore. So mm. I just had to say that. So no, I, I, I'm so that. happy we're bouncing off each other. People have heard the first half hour of our podcast. We managed to convince them that we're onto something here with this barefoot thing. Someone wants to transition. They have no idea what to do. They have no idea where to look, where to go. Petra, the mic's on you. Mic buddies. Yeah. Buddies. Okay. Uh, so I think that there are a lot of ways to think about your transition. And uh, what's nice is that there's lots of resources out there for you. So I just wrote a giant blog post with everything that I have to say about transitioning. So I'm really excited about that because I've gotten a lot of questions about it. And in my mind, I think there's three ways you can you can transition. So number one is you can think, okay, I've been in you know, conventional footwear for a long time. I don't want to do anything too drastic. I'm going to buy a really cushioned shoe that also has some room for my feet to move. And that's called a transitional shoe. And I'm just going to transfer into a transitional shoe and see how my body reacts to that. So that's kind of probably the most conservative way to transition because you're going to, it's a step down of shoe. It's not a complete um, change to barefoot. And I think that makes it a really great choice for somebody who has a lot of foot pain already um, and who just wants to start exploring really carefully and really safely. So there's a whole bunch of transitional shoe brands. Uh, Ultras are my personal favorite. Um, and I also really like the Bedrock sandals, but there's a ton of them and you can find them if you start looking around in the barefoot shoe world for the transitional shoe. So that's option A. Option B is a, a kind of a timed transition where you're like talking about what you were talking about uh, earlier. You're going to take say an hour a day for week number one to be totally in a barefoot shoe. You're going to go for a very barefoot shoe, like a Vivo barefoot or a, um, I don't know, an unshoe. And you're going to be super barefoot for an hour a day. And if that feels good to you, the next week, you're going to go for two hours a day. And the third week, you're going to go three hours a day. And you just step up your time gradually. And of course, you're going to be smart about it. So if anywhere in that transition, things don't feel good to you, you're going to take a, you're going to back off and spend more time in your conventional shoe. And you're going to probably support your body with some foot exercises along the way, because that's just always smart. And that's smart for the other type of transition as well. So that, um, I don't know if you know who she is, but Irene Davis is one of the top researchers around running in barefoot shoes. So I was lucky enough to listen to her talk to um, some people at the Healthy Foot Alliance the other day. And she said that's how she transitions people. So she takes her people in her clinic and she thinks most people can transition in eight weeks with that step time transition. And most people are going to have a successful transition just by increasing time and being smart about it. So that's uh, a great option. And then the middle ground, which is actually my personal preference, is where you do a bit of both. You get yourself some transitional shoes and you get yourself some minimal shoes and you transition into your transitional shoes, which doesn't necessarily take very long. You might be totally, if you're, if you're transferring from a sneaker with a closed toe, but not a ton of heel raise and not a ton of, um, 
you know, damage to your feet, you're going to be able to transfer into an ultra without very much adaptation time at all. And then you step that down into your barefoot shoe. And I love that because that way, when you get out of your barefoot shoe for your rest, you don't put on your old shoe that's squishing your toes and giving you a raised heel. You put on a shoe that's really foot friendly. It doesn't give you as many strengthening benefits as the very minimal shoe, but you've got something that's not going to literally squish your toes. So I think that's perfect. And then what that gives you is a vision of variability. Because I think one thing that's really come through in my own transition and that's come through um, in the advice that I've gotten from all of the foot experts I've talked to is that a barefoot shoe transition is not a one-time journey. You don't do it once and done and you're barefoot for the rest of your life. What you're going to find is that based on where you're at in your life, you're going to transfer back and forth between shoe A and shoe B and shoe C. And some days you're going to go for a giant hike. And so you're going to actually want shoe number D because that's going to give you a little bit more protection. So it's not a one-way journey and giving yourself more options right out of the starting gate starts you off understanding that it's it's about listening to your body, not about being like, hey, I'm a barefoot shoe wearer now and I never do anything else. So that's my personal favorite way. But in all cases, I would start by planning at least eight weeks and be aware of the fact that for you, it might be three years and that's totally okay. There is zero benefit to faster transitions that just hurt yourself. Mm. So you said you said there was three options. You mentioned the transitioning to a like ultra or limbs or a thicker sole. Then you mentioned getting both a really minimal shoe and a, um, a more barefoot transition shoe, what would be the third option? The third is where you just get a very minimal shoe, mm. like a Vivo barefoot, and you time your transition. So mm. it's you know basically barefoot for an hour a day, week one, yeah. barefoot for an hour a day, week two. Got it. So yeah, that, so yeah. I like it. I, I like a lot how there's many, many places for people to transition. I also feel that even in the more advanced barefooters, such as I consider myself one, or I like to think of one, I consider you one, people have been spending years, not just spending time barefoot, but actually years strengthening their feet, strengthening their toes, strengthening their knees, ankles, and hips. We have, the, we have we, or when you can hike 30 kilometers barefoot, or when you can run a marathon barefoot without pain, you're basically, it's telling you something about your body's basic ability. You earn, you know, like barefoot head, right? So like you get the title barefoot if you run like a marathon barefoot. But if you can do these feats of achievement, you're telling yourself something. My feet are strong and resilient. So even me, like I've been dealing with some Achilles pain lately. And in addition to strengthening with isometrics and mobilizing, I'll wear my lens shoes, the Primal Zen, which has like an 11 millimeter sole more often because the thing that's a- aggravating my Achilles is by my, not, not when I run, but when I walk or hike, the heel strike, which is commonly found in walking, is bothering my Achilles. So even a more advanced barefoot myself has to regress a little bit back to progress. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to put on regular sneakers. Petra said it perfectly. I have the wide toe box. I have the, the zero drop. I have all the char- characteristics of a barefoot shoe. I'm just giving myself a little bit more love and a little more cushion, so to speak, although compared to other shoes, it's not really cushioned. So I love it. I love the way you like split it into three categories. It's my legal brain. Hmm. Legal brain. <laughs> but <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think that that's really important to remember. And I often get emails from people who are like, I've been wearing barefoot shoes for three years, but I have plantar fasciitis. Now mm. what's up with that? I just got it. And I think you have to remember that that you don't always get pain signals right away from a non-functional movement pattern. And so when you 
in that example, if you get plantar fasciitis after you've been barefoot for three years, there is something missing in your movement pattern that is causing you to still be overloading your feet. And that might not be a question of your foot strength, which is probably pretty strong if you've been barefoot for three years. It might be a question of the way that you stand, or it might be a question of the, the length of your hip flexors in your walking, or it might be because you haven't done the work to give yourself hip mobility. There's a ton of other things that go into it. And so that's why, you know, I, when I talk about doing a barefoot transition in terms of planning your shoe transition, that's going to give you a lot of benefits. Just so Irene Davis, who I'll just mention again, there are some really excellent studies that say that simply switching to barefoot shoes for eight weeks will give you the same strength changes in your feet that doing a foot exercise program mm. will give you. Now, I don't know what that foot exercise program was exactly, but you can compare those two things fairly accurately. Strengthening your feet with exercise, strengthening your feet with barefoot shoes gets you stronger feet. What it doesn't necessarily do is change your patterns. And that could be the patterns of your supination and pronation as you walk, which are essential movements in your foot. It could be how you heel strike. So as you mentioned, a walking strike should be a heel strike unless you're on uneven surfaces or climbing up and downhill. Um, and then it can change, but you could not have good control of your lateral hips as you walk. And so you could be pounding your foot every time you heel strike. And you might not know that unless you go deeper. So I want to stress that it doesn't have to be a ton to, it doesn't have to be overwhelming to transition to barefoot shoes, but most people would be well advised to start on a program of foot strengthening and of body and movement exploration to support their journey if they want to get the maximum out of their transition. And certainly if they discover that they have ongoing issues or develop new issues in their bodies, for me, that's a, a flag that says, hey, there's something that's not working with what you're doing. Let's dial it back and let's see what will help you move to that next level that will not be hurting you. So that's where I come in because I teach exercise and movement and, mm. you know, it. I certainly have been found it's really interesting with my feet. I've done a ton of work, as you know, and my patterns are not there yet. I do not like the way my feet are callousing right now. I'm not getting an effective transverse arch in walking. And when I stand on one foot or load my feet, um, my big toes aren't stabilizing correctly. And I don't really know why. So I have an appointment with one of my teachers in an hour after this, because I need some troubleshooting help. And, and that can happen to anyone at any point in their journey. And I think that's important to recognize is we're all on a journey here and it's not all Always straightforward, but it can be. So the flip side is my boyfriend just switched to barefoot shoes. Did he do foot exercises? Absolutely not. Has he uh -huh. been barefoot for the last five years? No problem. Like he's fine. So will he be fine in 20 years? Like, I don't know. I hope so. Uh, but you know, you, you don't necessarily, everybody is different, I guess is where I'm going with that. So, you, you know, every, every journey and everybody are very different with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, this really message gives hope to all the people listening out there. Petra's, you know, a prime example of the, a barefoot goddess, someone who's living, preaching, practicing, and like, hey, she's saying, hey, my gait's not perfect. I'm also a pretty barefoot, I'm the barefoot athlete, and my Achilles is hurting me. So, like, there's no, like, perfect, and even more so, a lot of times I have found that when people start dealing with pain later on in their barefoot journey, it's 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 hip-related, it's gait-related, it's movement pattern-related, because the sneaker was able to compensate 
that cushion was able to compensate in a in a bad way, but for them it was a good way because it wasn't causing them pain. And then they slowly started removing the sneaker, and then the body's trying to like figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. And after three to th- three months to three years of walking, running, sprinting this way, the body's like, uh, I can't take this anymore. And that's where the pain yeah. comes in. That, that's what's happened with my knee. My it's all about my ability to internally and externally rotate in the hip. And I see it when I yeah. slow mo walk, when I slow mo run, when I slow mo sprint. Exactly how my right foot is landing between my left foot and Katie Bowman, who's like a, a freaking genius. Like she's like every single person who ever writes or speaks about barefoot refers to Katie Bowman. She's like the OG of barefoot. And she speaks about how like, if your big toe is a little, let's say you have like a baby bunion, it's very likely coming from your hip because that's the way, I'm not talking about the footwear aspect of when I'm talking about, let's say someone's like barefoot, because if your hip is turned in a certain way, then your big toe is going to land on the floor as well. And like, I see that so much in everyone. Uh, yeah. Really, really like how you worded it. And I, now we kind of dove into like, okay, here's how to transition to barefoot shoes. Now, because you're a movement and barefoot um, transitioning and stre- strengthening expert, I think is a, is a good term. Can we speak about the practicality of what needs to be done in addition to switching to those vivos or lems or ultras, toes, feet, mobility, strength, power, elasticity. I know you're super into like the jumping landing. That's a huge underlooked aspect. I think that must be talked about. Like I'm an athletic performance coach, so I'm always like jumping landing, but people don't speak about the, the elasticity of the, of yeah. the Achilles and how important that is when running landing and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's a really good question. And it's complex because there is, again, we're not in one size fits all territory. So uh, my foot course is a behemoth. It takes most people 20 weeks to get through because I get so much into all the different pieces. Uh, I have to rejig it. So it's a little bit more, more accessible for people, but it's a great foot course because it does all the things. We'll We'll link it below, like in the podcast description. Cool. For anyone who really wants to take this one on. Um, Okay. So I think at a minimum, at a minimum, so I've got a free foot course as well. And that's where my minimum goes in. You need to have some mobility in your foot, whether you're a flat footed person or a high arched person, you are probably lacking foot mobility. So doing mobilization work, and that can include manual mobilization. So you can use your fingers to spread your toes apart, which is a really great starting point for a lot of people. You can roll on balls. You can step on balls, which I actually honestly prefer to rolling on balls because it's more like walking on texture. Just getting some passive mobilization. And that's a good starting point for almost all feet because it's um, it's accessible. So even your grandmother can start doing foot massage on a ball while she's sitting in her chair. So, you know, it doesn't matter where your feet are. And that can be an ongoing process because, again, remember, um, when we live in a house with flat floors and when we walk mostly on pavement, even in our minimal shoes, we're not getting a lot of mobility work in our feet. So I expect to continue doing mobility work for your feet. And I'm here, I'm talking about passive mobility. Then I think you need some basic intrinsic muscle control. So you need to be able to do toe lifts and you need to be able to control your foot during your toe lift. So it's only your toe lifting and you need to be able to, um, to create some strength and control over that. So if you're lifting your big toe and it's veering inwards, then you don't have the strength to stabilize your big toe when you walk. So you need to get some skill with that too. So I'm just going to back backtrack. So when you say yeah. mobility for the foot, are you specifically referring to the arches and the toes or are you referring to the ankle as well? I know that's complex because then you can say, oh, knees and hips too. But what do you refer to when you say mobility? Because people are going to ask. 
It's a great question. Yeah. Right now I'm talking about intrinsic to the foot mm. mobility. So the forefoot and the midfoot, okay. um, for sure. We're going to talk about knees, hips, and ankles because yeah. you can't really ignore them, but we're not there yet. Right now okay, we're just so, talking like, so mobility. And then we got yeah. basic toe stability, or even maybe like neural connection. Like I just did the workshop this morning and like these people never lifted their toes before, but then two minutes later, they're able to, I didn't teach them how to lift their toes. I just connected the dots in their brain. Hey, you could lift your toes. Yeah. And let's be clear. That's an awesome result because for me, it took three months to be able to do individual toe lifts. So, right. <laughs> so either you're a better teacher than, the, no, I think than my teachers were, but you know, it, yeah. it, it depends, right? Because if right. you don't have neural connection, you don't have strength and you don't mm -hmm. necessarily have capacity. So I just, there's a range there, but that's mm -hmm. awesome that you had right. been doing it. And for sure that connection is huge. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to think about supination and pronation. Mm. So again, I, I keep talking about those because they're just fundamental. And, and to understand those properly, they're best thought about as a twist in your foot. And the way humans walk is quite unique because we're bipedal. So when you land on your heel, your foot needs to be in what's called a rigid lever. Mm -hmm. as you roll forward on your foot, it needs to soften in order to absorb shock. So that's your pronation moment. And there your foot literally untwists, widens and lengthens. And that capacity is missing in a lot of people. And then as you roll forward over your toes to push off, your foot has to once again become rigid. Otherwise it's not going to efficiently push you forward. So that's your supination. And that's where it's what's missing in a bunch of other people. So that's what I'm missing. My boyfriend can't pronate. I can't supinate. We're mm. a perfect pair. Perfect pair. Um, <laughs> so a really simple exercise to start working on that is calf, calf raises. If you do calf raises correctly, you get a pronation and a supination benefit. And you also start working on your ankle strength and mobility with calf raises. So I would think that calf raise variations should be 100% on everybody's basic lists. And then I think the, the final piece that's like a must, must, must do is to work on back line length and strength. So that's your calves, that's mm -hmm. your hamstrings, that's control over a hip hinge. That's a huge part of your walking. And if you don't have that, then your weight is always going to be pushing forward over your feet, whether you're standing or walking, and that's going to mess up your mechanics. So that's why that's the package I put together mm -hmm. into my sort of entry level for your feet free program, because those are going to help almost everybody. And then after that, you can go on and you can just go down the rabbit hole forever. And there, mm -hmm. yes, you need ankle mobility. Yes, you need knee mobility. Mm -hmm. Yes, you need hip mobility. And you need hip control. And you, you know, so you need so many pieces for optimal function. But if you start there, you're going to be well on your way to a very functional foot, I think. Mm -hmm. um, question. So why do you specifically emphasize posterior chain? What about like anterior chain, like the tibia and the quadriceps and the patella? Is there a reason why you don't, you didn't like emphasize that as well? Just curious. Yeah. They're getting a lot more love these days, which is right. nice. It's mostly um, thanks to Ben Patrick. He's the, he's the OG of the anterior chain. Knees over toes. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think then you're thinking a little bit more of your athletics. Like I, I, I'm not, I don't want to totally ignore the front of the foot, mm -hmm. but I think what you're going to see in a lot of people is that you simply have been sitting for a very long time mm. and whatever's happening in the back of your body, you're not going to have access to extension. And if you don't have access to hip extension and walking, 
I'm not sure how much time you've spent studying kind of walking mechanics, but Mm. in my brain, I like to oversimplify it into Mm. two main drivers of moving forward. There's Mm. the moving forward by leaning forward into the world and then catching Mm. yourself. And there's the driver of standing up straight and then pushing behind you with your working leg, which is almost like pushing a canoe. Mm -hmm. And all of us are inevitably doing some of both in every, every walking Mm -hmm. step, but most people are squarely stuck in falling forward world with very little of moving backward world. So I tend to think backwards because that's so lost for most of us. Mm. Um, I think that, yeah, absolutely. Like let's work on the front of the legs as Mm -hmm. well. But if if you're very tight in the calf and the back of your legs, Mm. what's happening in the front is probably tightness as well from having to pull on the back of your legs. Mm. So I'm not sure that you want to add tightness right away what you might want to do is lengthen out the anterior compartment right away and start getting length through the front and some suppleness so that then maybe along the way, you can think about strengthening that. And don't Mm. forget, you want your knees over your toes to be very strong so that you can jump, so that you can go downhill, Mm. so that you have great eccentric control. That's not step one. That's Mm. step three, Mm -hmm. I think. I like it. No, I like it. I think you really... I'll simplify it even further. Basically, the muscles have this correlationship called an agonist-antagonist relationship. So if my calves are working or overworked, my tibia, which is the muscle in the front, has to be the exact opposite. So for example, if I'm always in in heels or if I'm always in a cushioned shoe, that's not just going to shorten my calf. It's also going to lengthen my tibia. And it's kind of this love-hate relationship. So if one side is doing X, the other side is doing Y. So I, I wasn't... I wasn't like, oh, you forgot interior chin. I was just curious about your uh, philosophy. I like it. Yeah. I think step one. Also, just thinking about the basic way you walk. I mean, you extend your hip. 90% of the time when we're walking, it's hip extension, correct? It's plantar flex. Only if you have hip extension. <laughs> Only if you have hip extension, I which actually most people bait, don't. I was trying to bait you Oh, you got me. Right. Yeah. You got me. So as you know, most people, like, there are many people who are literally stuck in true hip flexion, cannot get a a zero degree angle between the hip and the pelvis. And so asking those people to extend their hip, and that is because absolutely heeled shoes and chairs, asking those people to extend their hip is, is it's an impossibility. And what you're going to get when you say, Hey, you need to change your walking by trying to get your heel behind you longer is you're going to end up with more pelvic rotation or more leg rotation or some sort of compensation. So in my mind, it makes much more sense to work on your capacity before you even think about working on your technique. If you don't Mm. have lateral hip strength, then you're not going to be able to hold yourself balanced on one leg Mm. as you walk. So don't worry about your walking until you've worked about balancing on your one Mm. leg. And just a quick um, uh, addendum to that uh, anterior chain conversation. Yes, for sure. Short calves, longer tibia, but that doesn't necessarily mean the tibia is functional or not overworked because remember, mm. you're still having to pull against that tight mm. calf every time you take a step. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's so, it just doesn't boil down into necessarily easy explanations. One great exercise that maybe is a great starting point that I didn't actually put in my foot thing because I had to I had to cut it out somewhere. But um, simply walking backwards uh, is a great underused, super simple exercise because there you're getting knee over toes control, anterior compartment eccentric control, lots of work on um, foot strengthening and especially on supination arch strengthening. And it's so easy if you have a safe street, you can do like ten minutes a day of that. That's an awesome easy one to do too. Mm-hmm. Ideally barefoot. Of course. If it feels very effortless, you could obviously change it up. You could walk on an uphill, which even actually forces you to get mechanics better. I found that 
because I work with athletes a lot. I know we're speaking, I'm speaking a little bit more in the advanced realm. I think we're both on a little bit of different spectrum as who are like day-to-day people we see. But let's say I want to work on their speed and acceleration ability. So I'll, I'll use a sled that forces them to lean forward and really get into triple extension. If they don't have a sled, I'll just use a hill because the hill forces you to lean forward and get into extension. So the, the uh, incline of a backwards walk is the same thing. It forces you to get that larger range of motion. Um, we said step one, and I'm going to reflect back. So we said mm-hmm. basic foot and toe mobility. We're not really talking about the ankle, although it's important as well. Then we said basic stability of the toes, basic or neural capacity, ability to you know fire up the toes, so to speak. Uh, step three we moved on to was, remind me. I think that was pronation and supination. Get pronation that ability to get those mechanics. Calf okay. raises. Yeah. So calf raise, like basic calf raise, the basic motion we're going to do when we walk. And then step four was... Backline length and strength. So Got getting it. So posterior some chain. Okay. Softness. So yeah. that's level one. That's like level one entry point. I transition to Brett Machu's. I master these. Check out Petra's course. It will help you master these. Now we're at step two. What's the next layer? I've been doing this for six months. I've been doing this for a year. I've been doing this too. Now I don't just want strong resilient feet, but I want strong athletic, unbeatable, unstoppable feet. What's my next step? That is a great question. I think your next step is to start really self-evaluating to see where your weaknesses are, because everybody's going to come into this a little bit differently. So the obvious one would be me and my boyfriend. Like he needs to work on his pronation because he doesn't have it. I need to work on my supination because I don't have it. But if we want to be very general, I would say next step is walking mechanics. So do you have hip extension? Do you have hip rotation? Do you have lateral hip strength? Do you understand what walking could look like? I don't like to use the word should, but do you have a sense of the the patterns available in your walking? Are your feet very turned out when you walk? Uh, what are your personal rotational biases? I have very internally rotated hips. So for me, I'm all about like, I need more external rotation capacity for sure. And that's probably affecting my supination. Uh, Do you twist your pelvis at 10 when you walk? I, I think that's probably where I'd go next. I'm not sure... So I, like I said, the reason my foot course is super long is because it's got different divisions into each of those. So I've got a whole bunch of stuff on foot mobility, and then I get into like a whole bunch of stuff on back line. And then when you get into hip mobility, probably as you know as well, you can't really work on hip extension until you've worked on hip rotation because hip rotation is your primary prerequisite to extension. But you've got to work on hip extension. So that means psoas. Uh, and then you've got also, oh man, step two is giant. <laughs> what's your step two so it's it's funny you say that but i would think first my initiate my initial response would be now that you've built the foundation start strength training in a full range of motion but and here's the big but even the good old exercises like you're a lover of squats i'm a lover of squats but squats are biased right so if someone's either struggling in extreme external rotation or extreme internal rotation, he, he or she should still be squatting, but they have to understand the consequences of always, especially the way the squat is cued in the gym. So like press your big toe, pinky toe, heel on the floor, push your knees slightly out, which is winding up your hip into external rotation. You're constantly biasing your body into a certain position, and that may not even be your hip struggle. So guys came along like Ben Patrick, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Gota method, uh, greatest of all time athletes. 
he's all about the tibial rotation. So he's constantly, I'm not going to, I already got out of the sauna. I'm standing now. I just couldn't sit for that long. But he'll do all these movements where you're putting your knee in complete, knee and hip into complete internal rotation to bias all the people who are stuck in external rotation. And it's, it's all these strength movements which you're doing, which are fantastic. And you must be strength training in, in many, many planes, sagittal, frontal, transverse, ever you want. They could just be reinforcing your body's quote, quote, faulty, or I'll use a more positive term, not good yet mechanics. And the whole concept of like, I remember learning in school, like they speak about like X knees and, and O knees. It could be that people's anatomical structure, they're born in a certain way, but you're not stuck in a certain position. That's such a Western approach. Like, oh, here's a shoe. Here's an ortho, ortho, uh, orthopedic insole. Your knees and hips are capable of moving. It may be more difficult for you to transition to something better. So step two for me is strength training based exactly as you said, like learning how to walk. The only way to learn how to walk is either speak to a specialist or start filming yourself and seeing how you walk. So I think strength training is the same way and start assessing yourself constantly. I think you said the same thing. Assessment. <laughs> Assessment. Like assess yeah. what are my mobility restrictions. I like to call mobi- mobility training a lot of times can be very vanilla. I like dividing vanilla chocolate even though I'm more of a cinnamon guy. Chocolate is like specific mobility for my goal. So if I'm struggling with external rotation, let me do a mobilization that will help me improve my external rotation. As opposed to, hey, I just saw Sean or Petra post like a nice hip mobility video. Let me just do it for fun, which is great. You're moving, you're off the couch, hell yeah. But is it specific to your needs? So if you assess your needs and know what's best for you and not do a cookie cutter mobilization or cookie cutter strength program, then that will be good. I think we said the same thing, maybe in different ways. I think we did say the same thing because I think that, you know, you, the basics are, you know, there, there are basics that apply to almost everybody. And I I think the more I work on this, I I really am interested in trying to make movement work accessible and people like to have goals to hit. And there are some goals that I think people, there are some shoulds, you should be able to stand on one leg for 15 seconds at a time without falling. You know, there's some shoulds, but everyone's at a different starting point. So that's why it's very hard to give you a prescription where it says you need to work on your balance because maybe you're great at your balance, but you're, you know, your breathing is weird. So I, I think it does come down to assessment. And so for me, the other starting point into my work is with um, the FRC mobility work that I do is I teach cars, cars are controlled articular rotations, and they're a daily joint practice that I know you're aware of. Uh, and they're awesome because they're an ABC type practice. They are like learning to lift your toes. They are very simple in their concept, but they're very broad in their application. And one of the things that's awesome about the cars is you get assessment. If you cannot rotate your tibia instantly, you know, you need to work on learning to rotate your tibia and that's going to carry forward to your gait. And that is going to help you support your foot journey. If you have zero hip internal rotation, suddenly you're like, oh, hey, I know I need to work on that because once again, you need that to walking. So I love those things that are easy assessments and you don't always get that with something like a squatting pattern where you're like, oh, I can do a squat or I can't do a squat, but you don't necessarily see why, because it's a hugely complex movement with many, many components. So I think that, yeah, stage two is assessment and you don't always get to get a sense of assessment until you've started exploring. So maybe stage two is go deeper and try some stuff and see what's working, what isn't and start building. I think of it as a body journal where you're like, oh, you know, this pattern is this for me. I think what's going on with my feet actually has a ton to do with my core and lower back. 
So you don't get that kind of understanding until you've done a crap ton of work. And the nice thing about the work is that for most people, it's enjoyable and it's very healthy because you're working on all these different cells. So whether you're strength training or walking on a balance beam or doing the kind of focused mobility work that I personally like to do, you're going to learn a ton along the way. And I think that's where it opens up and actually becomes really interesting because you're going to learn a lot about yourself as you do good to yourself along the way. Mm -hmm. I totally resonate with that. I think step two is a place where most of us are. Even the world's strongest men and women or like superstar athletes are always looking to improve not just their speed, but their, their everything. You know, there's always a little bit of improvement that can be squeezed out of the hips, the ankle, the, your, your speed, your strength, your agility, your vertical power. And the athletic world, people are always trying to get better. I would say if, if I were to ask what would be a step three, it would be set a, a tangible badass goal. You know, whether it's chasing the 100 foot weight after you've mastered your body, which you're all striving, master your performance would be the better term. Chase the 100 foot wave when you surf, go for that marathon, go squat 100 kilo, go hike 50 kilometers barefoot, like find your tangible end game where you can really feel accomplished and be proud of how hard you work to get to that third step. It's always a really interesting conversation. And, and in some ways, that's a very appealing one for me. I think that if I had been 20 years younger, I would have been like, yeah, that's awesome. I totally <laughs> want to achieve that. But, you know, because my body started kind of really starting to hurt when I was in my early 30s, I've learned to very much appreciate just being able to do life. And so I'm much more measured with my goals these days. For mm. me, the goal is to be able to do a hike on the weekend, barefoot or not barefoot, mm. but not hurt afterwards. And I think that, you know, again, it's, it's fascinating because there's such a big spectrum, right? Your audience is much more athletic and like, hey, let's go get a hundred foot wave. I'm like, I would hate to do a hundred foot wave. I have just barely <laughs> gotten to the level of my surfing where I'm like, look, it's a nice four foot wave. I can do a turn on it. I feel great today. But for me, that's an achievement. So it is, you know, I, I do think that you're right. There's these external goals, but for me, it's very much about sustainability and supporting smaller goals so that I can keep having new goals. But either way, you know, there's a pushing yourself. And, and again, for me, as I'm getting older as well, I'm in, I just turned 48. So now I'm like, okay, well, you know, muscle loss becomes a big thing at this age. Mm -hmm. Like absolutely muscle mass is huge. If you look at hunter gatherer populations, they don't lose a ton of muscle as they get older. They actually do more activity in their grandparent stages than the parents do because the parents look after kids. The grandparents are the ones hunter gathering. So how can we take modern bodies and have mm -hmm. those outcomes? And that for me is what really fires me up. So it is zone two cardio and it is let's lift things so that we get muscle mass retention. Let's build balance. Let's build sustainability. Let's find those weird patterns and work on decreasing the weird patterns. Um, you lose joint, um, joint, what's the right word? Suppleness. Our ligaments. Well, suppleness, I guess you lose collagen at menopause. So mm -hmm. that's a you know looming issue for me and many women as well. So again, that joint mobility is absolutely huge. And all of that will support your journey. And so that's why the feet, they're this entry point for all this stuff. But I also love the athletic stuff. I love learning to jump and, and it's so satisfying. Are my jumps awesome and impressive? No, they're never going to be awesome and impressive. Am I okay with that? Absolutely. Because I can jump, which is crazy. I think so your jumps are awesome and impressive. Cool. Oh, uh, yay. Sure. I mean, you, you had a perfect landing. I think like last week's Instagram post, it was inspiring. Like my, um, like I'm saying maybe my mom's like in her fifties or sixties. Like, I don't think she could jump like that. You know what I mean? Um, um, wanted to touch upon a few last points and we can wrap up here. Some questions from the community. So before I do that, first of all, I think the concept of FRC functional range conditioning and move net and all the things we're exploring 
they're all trying to replace what we had naturally back in the day. So FRC is about always constantly exploring your range of motion. And if you do the research, and I've done it, the Spartans, they would limber their, before battle, they would stretch. They would mobilize their body because they realized the importance of being able to move in a full range of motion. They didn't inherently strength train by going to the gym and bench pressing, but what they did do is lift heavy rocks, lift heavy animals when they were fighting and sparring and swinging their swords around, they were getting the move net style of movement. So these two worlds blend, move net's all about exploring and moving things and moving in the wilderness. And I think I really like it, even though I, I, I'm not like a, I have his book, it's on my shelf, it's a great book. Uh, uh, what's his name, Edwin D. Liqueur. It, he, he does emphasize strength training, which many people get lost in the movement world of like, let me just like flow. No, no, no. Lift heavy stuff too, please. It's so important. Even if it's twice a week lifting heavy rocks, spinal waves aren't going to make you stronger. They may do many, many other benefits, but like lifting heavy stuff is important. So that's good. FRC is, let's say, the other spectrum. Let me constantly assess and reassess my ability to move. Uh, that's what I just want to like throw out there because it's so important and it gets so lost of like, I'm just going to do yoga forever. Great. Yoga is a very healthy practice, but you still have to add some form of assistance training in your lifestyle. If you want to do it in a gym, if you want to do it in your garden, if you want to lift your kid overhead, that's also great. I agree. And it's, it's really interesting. You see it, you know, because we're living with my mother right now, she's uh, older and she's got older friends and they lose the ability to live because they can't lift the heavy things. So it's not just about looking awesome um, or whatever. It, it delivers very tangible benefits. There's a lot of uh, increasing evidence about just how important muscle is for stuff other than being strong too. It has mm. met like it has, uh, hormonal implications in your life. Like it's a part of your immune system. Like your muscle system is really important and mm -hmm. it's wide ranging. And so I think that's also the lifestyle piece. That's the Katie Bowman piece too, right? You can lift your body weight up and down from the ground 20 times a day if you just don't sit in chairs very often. Right. So you get strength training in multiple ways mm -hmm. if you layer it in, which is super mm -hmm. cool. Got it. So Petra, we have some questions from our community. And if you're allowed to answer this without a bias, what is your favorite barefoot shoe? Oh my God. That's the hardest question literally ever. Uh, to be honest, I, I would really rather not wear shoes at all, given the opportunity. That's one of the reasons that we travel full-time is so I can be barefoot full-time. If it's the shoe that I'm just like, I'm so happy to wear this shoe. It's my soft stars. Every time I put on my mm. Phoenix boots, I'm like, these are the best, yeah. uh, but Cozy. shoes depend on context. So I would not wear my Phoenix boots hiking or to the beach. And so for those, you know, it's just, it's a total, it depends. I'm sorry for the crappy answer. Softstar. Okay, Softstar Phoenix. Shout out to Softstar. Question number two. We just spent an hour talking about transitioning to barefoot, but, and this is a hard one, if you can sum up your advice in like a one-line or elevator pitch, what's the first thing? Oh, no. Let's just do another podcast. What's the first thing you will say or recommend to this person? To transition? Yes. Oh, we just spent an hour. This is so I know, unfair. but these are, the uh, <laughs> these are the questions. So that's what I'm just passing the message on. Oh, that's really hard. Normally I like questions. You guys are tough. Um, the one line piece of advice is take it slow, listen to your body and be prepared to explore. Mm. I would probably answer, take your shoes off at home. And if it doesn't cause you pain, that would be like the biggest takeaway. That's good. I think that people look at me like I'm the barefoot guy in Israel. It's like, hey, it's the barefoot guy. He's shopping in the supermarket without shoes. But 
I'm an extremist, not in a bad way. You're also an extremist. We took it to the like extreme. We spend most of our life barefoot. Regular go-to people don't have to do that. They can just take their shoes off at home and slowly strengthen their feet from there. Question number three. I have to remember it. One second. Oh, what, so I know you're a big surfer, but what's your favorite sport or favorite like uh, pastime? I am much more of a mountain person. I'm only surfing because my boyfriend wants to surf. I, I'm starting to like it, but no, I would hike. I would just hike all the time if I had the option. <laughs> that's hilarious. So Sarah and I are the op- Sarah's the surfer. I'm the hiker. Uh, we switch awesome. roles. So she'll go surfing. I'll go with Charlie and we'll just like hike along the beach and watch her surf, try to get some good pictures of her. So opposite ends there. But I, I dabbled in surfing a bit because it's her passion, but I realized that I love the ocean, but surfing just doesn't call to me as much as it does to her. Cool. Yeah. Last question. And I have to remember this one. Oh, what would you say your, if you can give us a glimpse into your lifestyle? And when I say lifestyle, combining like, you know, your strength regimen, your mobility regimen, I know you do your cars every day. What does it look like? Like, what is your uh, protocol to take care? Because the reason why this was asked is because people who follow you, you're like, like, I'm not trying to, I'm trying to think how to say it's not being offensive. I'm in my twenties, right? I'm young. So of course, I mean, I I don't think it's of course, but I'm young and out and about playing sports because I'm in my twenties. There's not so many 40-plus-year-olds out there living that healthy, uh, healthy, holistic, longevity-style lifestyle that you're pursuing. So you're like a huge role model for all the 40-year-olds out there who are like, I wouldn't say jealous, but who are like, damn, this woman's badass, right? This woman's like, she's got her stuff together. So like, what's... I don't know how to word this question. Well, but what's your secret? Like, what is your protocol? What's your lifestyle? Does that make sense? <laughs> what's the secret? Yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, it's quite variable because of traveling, but the pieces that I try to get in regularly are every morning I either walk or when we're surfing, we'll surf first thing in the morning. I think early morning light, light exposure is really, really important. So is that every enough, morning getting, getting out. Is that in a fasted state or, or not inherently? Like, are you like, fasted, no caffeine yeah, fasted? I, I, yeah. 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 I don't eat until noon normally. Mm. Um, and I do cars before or after that activity for sure. So Mm. cars are the basic maintenance practice for mobility. Uh, what we try to do is do one kind of class or workout a day. So that could be Mm. surfing. That could be a move net workout. That could be a kin stretch class. So something that I'm not having to teach or drive by myself that someone else is teaching me. And because I'm a teacher, I will often also do a class from another teacher. So right now I've just enrolled in Lauren O'Han's Restore Your Core certification program. And so I'm doing a lot of Restore Your Core classes right now. So I take in a lot of, of movement stuff. And then I also take a lot of movement breaks in my day. So I ground live. So I sit on the floor and then I try every 15 minutes to go and do something. So that's where I do my push-ups. It's where I do my pull-ups. It's where I do a lot of crawling. Um, I try to do some lifting heavy stuff as part of that too. So right now, every time I go out to do my pull-ups, I'm carrying a 40 pound weight to Mm. the garage and back. So that kind of more loaded stuff I do as movement breaks normally. And then ideally I will also do personal mobility work in the afternoon before dinner. So I'll spend between 20 minutes and half an hour. Right now I'm working more spinal mobility and foot stuff than anything else, but that just depends on what my goals are. And then pre-bed, I try to do some breathing and some cool down work. So sometimes I'll roll before bed. Kelly Surratt was raving about rolling before Mm. bed. So I've just started, I'm like, all right, 10 minutes of rolling before bed. So I, I move a lot. I move a Mm. lot and it's very variable because my lifestyle is very variable. So I would probably have more impressive results if I were more consistent, but I'm also um, not really a big fan of that. So it depends where we are and when we are. So yesterday we hiked, we hiked and we did cars. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there was some gemstones just in your daily routine. It was almost like Ben Greenfield style. First of all, (laughs) you gave this 
Awesome hack that coaches and trainers don't use enough. Buy other coaches and trainers stuff. Like every time I see a coach I respect, like when you launched your program, I'm like, of course I'm enrolling in this to like, let me see what Petra's like can offer and add to my wisdom. Mm-hmm. Every time a coach or a colleague that I know offers something, doesn't matter to me if it's free or, or cost, like I, I think that knowledge is the best investment. Buy into them. Even if you learn one thing new, you're now going to be able to apply that to your clients, your athletes, your community. Um, number two, even though some people may look at your lifestyle and be like, whoa, that's too much. It's so sustainable. You never need a gym. You never need like much equipment, maybe just like a heavy kettlebell. If you don't have kettlebell, pop some water bottles in hanging your bag, bars. hanging off a tree. Like it's so sustainable. And you also, I mean, I, I, I kind of said it already, but you're hacking your life. You're hacking your daily structure to incorporate movement with it instead of after sitting for eight hours, having to like, oh, I have to drive to the gym now. You get to the end of the day and you already checked off all sorts of movements. When you said about consistency, I think, okay, I'm a strength coach, right? So I have to be that guy who's like, you must be applying progressive overload every workout. But that doesn't apply to the everyday dude who just wants to conquer the game of life. If your end goal is to be able to lift your grandkids over your head, then you will be able to do that by lifting that 40 kilo and walking to the pull-up bar and hanging and hanging out and carsing one day and kin stretching one day, although that's kind of similar to the same thing, and core. If you're constantly moving, you're going to have a healthy lifestyle. You won't be the fastest person in the world. You won't be the superstar athlete, but that's not your goal. So it's all about goals and progression. Can you tell us everywhere where we can find you, what programs you offer, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, I don't even know anymore. Uh, I'm not on all of them. I'm going to die. My Instagram is probably the best place to find me. So that's Petra Fisher Movement on Instagram. And my website is also Petra Fisher Movement. And that's where you can pick up the awesome free stuff that is out there right now. So I am really happy with my new For Your Feet course. We talked about it a lot today. Did you like the scenery? I made the scenery. Isn't it good? It was so so informative. Like, like I'll give an example. Like, I've done the Foot Collective courses. Like, as I said before, any colleague, any person I buy into their stuff... There's one thing like, okay, guys, roll your foot out. You were like, we're really intrinsically going into the details of the what, the whys, and the hows. And it really like, it taught, it taught me a lot as well. It was, it, was, cool. it was very informative. Thank you. Cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I think, and I, I totally agree, the more people you can learn from, the better off you are because everyone will make you think differently. And so I just want to make a shout out to you in that sense. So I just wrote that big article on how to transition. So if you want the real details on how to transition, like it's all there for you. But I'm super proud that you and a bunch of other really amazing foot people were contributing to this amazing giveaway that comes with the article that's got top expert advice on what to think about for your transition. And I have to tell you, that was such a great project for me to do because I learned a ton too. Mm-hmm. Like my perspective, on transitioning has changed from writing that and it's so valuable and you're going to get some just great great um connections from that too because it's got a list of some really smart people so yeah like broaden your range meet the people this is a community and it's super exciting and the more we learn and share together the more we all learn so that's awesome so yeah my website my ig are probably the best website ig okay and this free the free foot your course is like a funnel to your to your longer Eight, eight, two, uh, eight week workshop. The really long. That's okay. Else. Okay. You know what? It's totally confusing. No, it's not. I'm going to be revising Build Better Feet next year because mm. it is too big and people get um, totally intimidated by it. So right now, the way it works is I've got Free Your Feet, which is my foot course. Like everyone should do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next thing you should probably buy is Joints for Life, which is cars. And cars are great because everyone can do them. You can do them in ten minutes. It's a it's a it's a vitamin pill for your movement. And then the funnel right now is that I am going to be opening my membership program again in the fall. 
call it. Mm. My membership is where I teach everything, but I teach it in tiny classes. So it's 10 minute classes that you can do like one, two, three, four times a week, learn movement. And you're going to learn it very step-by-step and learn everything from your feet to your joints, to your hips, to your whatever. So take 10 is my kind of flagship, but it's a, it's, it's that's, that's going to be October. That's not coming up. Well, I highly, highly suggest any person who has any goal to check out Petra's work. I came across her work a few years ago. I fell in love. I also saw you were on Clayton's podcast, which was super cool. So I'm like, I'm, the second I saw that, I'm going to have Petra on my podcast as well. Um, it's fun, speaking about always learning stuff. So when I was first launching my Barefoot Transition course, my original, <laughs> my original vision was 12 months long. And the reason why I had that. <laughs> right. Right. Because I'm like, you can't restore your feet in 12 months. You just spend 20 years messing them up. But then I realized that as much as I have this great vision of making this year course, it's possible that people will buy it. But my interest is not the money. My interest is that I help them. So if I give them a 12-month course, the chance of them actually succeeding, they'll probably fall off the bandwagon. So I turned into a 30-day course, and then I realized that's not that's too short. So I turned it into a six-week, which I feel is like, if you can do these six weeks, build, it's very similar to you, build a foundation, and then like, progress from there, check out my next program or check out your next program or check out yeah. whatever. Um, I'm yeah. trying to think of another edge Katie's new program. Then like you can figure it out. So um, <laughs> yeah. any, any other tips, wisdom, advice, insight, stuff you want to add to our audience before we uh, call it a day? Well, I think I'll just repeat what I've already said. Like, I don't think you can lose with this. And the way you make sure you win is to listen to yourself and don't overdo it. Be careful and considerate of your body, but also explore and have fun because it's awesome. And everyone I know who's done it right loves it. So it's why mm. we're all crazy cult people now. We are. We are. Really, Barefoot really is a cult. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, that's it. I just, I'm so happy to have, so happy to have you. Happy to meet you. Continue to inspire. Continue to surf with your boyfriend and do what you guys do awesomely. I loved your new squat video. And yeah, that's all for today. Hey, I'm Sean and I'm the Barefoot Athlete. And I want to welcome you on this six week Barefoot Transition course. Two and a half years ago, we started developing this course and we wanted it to be 12 months long. Why 12 months? Because we felt that if you just spent dozens of years and cushioned shoes, you can't transition that quickly. Realizing that 12 months is not sustainable, we shortened it to six weeks. And in these six weeks, you're gonna dive into foot, knee, ankle, hip, shoulder mobility. You're gonna dive into calf, ankle, knee, hip strengthening. You're gonna learn how to take care of your feet, how to release them with tons of soft tissue work. After the first phase is over, after the three weeks are done, your pain is gone, your knees, your hips, your feet are feeling great, ready to rumble move on to the advanced stage. We learn how to land, we learn how to jump, we learn how to produce force and absorb force. Every single week is action-packed with play, fun, challenges to challenge yourself, your friends, your loved ones, and your community. Tons of strengthening, tons of footwork, and we can guarantee you that in six weeks' time, you will be much, much closer to being able to fully love life and live life in minimalist footwear. And the best part of it all, you're not limited to six weeks. So if you want to go back and repeat a phase, you're more than welcome to. So let's go, come along, and enjoy the course.